Mic check. This is Les. Mic check. Meeting me with mic, mic, mic check. Hubcap on the mic. This is the Regular Pastor Podcast, a podcast devoted to regular pastors and regular churches. My name is Landon Coleman. I'm a regular pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. Uh, we have a full house today. I'm joined by the crew, Corey, also known as Leslie Spear, to my left, Hunter, also known as Crash, sitting directly across from me. What up, dog? And Jake, a.k.a. Coinman94, <laughs> sitting to my right. We do have a few new nicknames today, and so both of our listeners need to be brought up to speed on where these nicknames came from. Crash, why don't you go first and tell us how you earned this new designation? Well, first of all, I want to put on the table that Brady has started calling me High Center. <laughs> also a good a good option i like it high center listen i i was driving into ratliff stadium for the tailgate on friday my kids were acting a fool in the back seat you gonna blame your kids oh 100 <laughs> percent. we you wouldn't uh <laughs> and uh as i'm pulling in i see this fire hydrant in front of me and i see this concrete barrier around it Metal barrier, metal barrier, and I make a I made a correction to go around it. Did made, you though? Made it. Did you? Did it. And then I turned back to get onto my heathens in the back seat, <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I was on top of that metal barrier. <laughs> what did you say next? Um, <laughs> I don't remember. It might have been a choice word or few. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh. Yeah, it was an interesting situation. How did you get off High Center from that metal barrier? Well, I uh, threw it in four-wheel drive, and I floored it backwards. And uh, and then? <laughs> I had to call a record to come with me off. <laughs> How many people do you think drove through that entrance and saw you High Centered up on that the, metal barrier? There was quite a few. Yeah. There, was, there was a lot of people. And it was a mixed bag of emotions from people of what an idiot on one hand and and then half of them were looking at me like how is that even possible that was me how is that possible <laughs> did you while you were high center on this barrier waiting on the record did you at least cover up the emmanuel bumper sticker on the back of your Yukon, no, no or- dog i took my emmanuel students <laughs> banner out of the back end of my car and hung it on the back window Okay. <laughs> Hi, Center Crash. We're glad you're here. And we're really excited for today's show because Hunter brought a note, a note, to the I recording brought, today. I brought note. <laughs> note singular. So uh, if we let you go first, you might get that note out. If we don't let you go first, someone might take your answer singular. My note is unique to me. Oh, uh, speaking of unique, Coinman94, why don't you enlighten us on uh, what you have sold on eBay this week? 
Oh, okay. Well, as of last night, I sold a Halloween-themed tablecloth. <laughs> Just one on, out of 200? <laughs> this is my fifth or sixth one. What's your stock down to? 43? <laughs> Probably 25. <laughs> so, I'm pretty impressed that I sold a Halloween tablecloth on November 11th. Um... <laughs> Also sold a foam roller, like, for doing yoga and massages. <laughs> did you try that out first? I did not, because I wanted to make money with it <laughs> rather than use it. So I've sold about six of those. I sold a pet hair remover sheet, uh, refill sheets. Wow. I sold a three-pack of Diaper Genie refills. <laughs> You probably should have hung on to the Diaper Genie refills. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You probably should have hung on. Here's what I want to know. Have you broken even on the tablecloths? You bought 8,000 pumpkin Halloween tablecloths from Door of Hope. Have you broken even on the purchase? Are you ahead? Are you still behind? Where do you stand? Uh, He's still sleeping on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm s- probably still in the red. It's hard to calculate because I have to pay for shipping. Numbers and are PayPal hard. fees and eBay fees and the cost of the item. I'd have to calculate it for you. So still probably in close. the red or close. Cl- probably close. Give or take 10 or 15 bucks. The real question we want to answer on this podcast is, do you start tithing before you get in the green or do you have to tithe <laughs> on those sales while you're still in the red? How does that work? I think Jesus said that was a gray area. Oh, did so, he? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Did he? <laughs> Okay. I well, preached a sermon on that once. Really? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we want to announce the sponsor of the day, and uh, this is a, an unusual episode. We have co-sponsors of today's episode. One is going to be Epic Collision, who is doing <laughs> the repair work on uh, High Center's Yukon. And uh, shout out to the good folks down the road at Epic. And uh, they appreciate the business from Mr. Sigler. Thank you. I'm keeping them busy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Second, we're sponsored by eBay. And uh, we'd like to announce there is a sale on eBay this week on Halloween (laughs) pumpkin-themed tablecloths. If you are in the market for tablecloths for Halloween 2021, look up CoinMan94 on eBay and make a bid. Are they going to have to bid, or can they buy it now? No, it's it's buy it now. Buy it now. You can go in there and buy it instantly. Just buy it. Just get it. Yep. And let me correct you. It's coin underscore man 94. You have to type it in exactly right. Coin underscore man 94. You might look at some random persons. Don't steal his coin. Yeah, dude, I'm making that coin. (laughs) Making that coin. That's right. This is great. Leslie, you have anything to contribute to this, or are you just, is that enough? I like you picking on them and not me. This is great. (laughs) Okay. Show today is going to be about preaching. It's not going to be about uh, car wrecks. It's not going to be about Halloween tablecloths. Uh, we're going to talk about preaching. What I want to know from you guys today is, what's the hardest part about preaching? What is the most challenging part of preaching? What is the most uh, frustrating part of preaching? Uh, t- this is going to be an interesting conversation um, for me, because here at Emmanuel, we're about to offer a class on preaching for our elders, for some of our leaders, for any men that want to be part of that. 
So I'm interested to know uh, your thoughts on this. I'm also interested to get your thoughts because as I look at us as a group, I think we have different uh, experiences of preaching, how often we preach, the groups that we preach to, how long we've been preaching. And so uh, I'm interested to see what is on your lists or list singular in the case of uh, Mr. Crash. But I want to know what's on your lists. And uh, I've got a few on mine. I, I jotted these down this afternoon. I got four. So I don't know how many you have. Uh, coin underscore man 94. Why don't you go first? What is the hardest, most discouraging, most challenging part of preaching in your opinion? Okay. So I don't know if you're going to get into this, but at first I put, I just put this question, what's the difference between preaching and mm. teaching? Mm. Because for the most part, I do more what I would call teaching as opposed to preaching. Yeah, I've preached a, a couple, a handful of what I would call sermons, what I would classify more as preaching. I, but just give me... Like, are we including both of those headings in this, or are we... Roughly, we're including both. Okay. I, for the most part, I'm not super comfortable when people say, are you more of a preacher or more of a teacher? I don't think you can preach without teaching, and I don't think you can truly teach without preaching. The distinction I would make for this podcast is preaching is more of a monologue where you are delivering content to a group of people teaching, I would say, is more, I wouldn't even necessarily say small group, but it's more of a back and forth setting. So when I teach Sunday school, there's more interaction. There are times where I'm asking questions and waiting for answers. I'm not doing that when I preach. So predominantly, I'm thinking about preaching, um, but we could lump uh, a Sunday school lesson that was more akin to a, a monologue delivery into that that conversation as well. A fair question. Okay. Sounds like you need to put Jake in the pulpit more. <laughs> well, we're going to see how he does on this podcast <laughs> and make a determination. <laughs> okay. So the first thing that I put was when it falls flat. When you, you know, you write up a, a sermon or a lesson or something and in your head as you're typing it up and you and you kind of imagine how it's going to go and how it's going to roll off your tongue just how how different sometimes it is when what it is in your head versus what actually happens in real life and you don't say it the same way it doesn't have the same effect maybe as you imagine it would um no and i think every preacher has had that experience where you feel really good about a lesson or a sermon and then you give it, you deliver it, and you don't feel quite so good about it. Whether that's visible audience reaction or lack thereof, uh, perceived quality and how you delivered it. I mean, there can be a lot of different factors in there, but that is definitely a challenge um, in, in preaching and teaching as well. Yeah. How would you tell somebody to deal with that? Just deal with it? <laughs> Live with it? Expect it? What do you do with that? Uh, well, I mean, I think we're all going to experience it, especially someone like me who's a very young, you know, very green when it comes to preaching. So, I mean, I think there's probably all have to kind of take our shots when it comes to that. And I, I guess just use it as a a growing experience, a learning experience, like 
figure out why it fell flat or why you perceived that it fell flat. And how would a guy determine this may be a bit of a rabbit trail? How would a guy determine if his lessons are occasionally falling flat or if he stinks as a preacher? How many flat ones in a row do you have to lay before you just say, this is not my thing? <laughs> well, I guess you would have to ask people that you trust. No, that's, a per- that's a good answer. That will actually be honest with you. It's a good answer. And that have actually heard you enough more than just one or two times, like maybe have heard you on a consistent basis Yeah. and see what they think about your your style, whether you... You do have the gift, and maybe you have some things you need to tweak, or maybe you just don't have the gift at all and need to find a different where you're gifted to serve at. No, and you bring up something that we could spend a whole podcast talking about is the debate. It's it's similar to the debate with leadership. Do people just have the gift of leadership, or can you learn to be a good leader? And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, and I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with preaching. Some people can do it, and some people can't. And you can learn to do it and to do it better. But if you don't have the gift of doing it, all the learning in the world, you're still going to end up flat all the time. Yeah. So that's a tricky thing. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, a a the, message that falls flat? I would say one of the things that Landon has taught me to do over the years is that you are your own best and worst critic, meaning record yourself, watch it, because you're going to pick yourself apart more than I think anyone else will. Even someone who's trying to be honest with you, I think that you're going to critique yourself even more when you listen to yourself, when you watch yourself. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I put on my list is I hate the sound of my own voice. I definitely hate to watch myself preach a sermon, but I will pick myself apart more than other people will. So you're saying you need to do that when a lesson falls flat or even when it doesn't, sure. that just needs to be part of how you handle Growing, yes, I, how you I handle think so. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think over there? Well, let me uh, <laughs> look at my note here. And <laughs> You're not going to have anything. And I want to thank Jake for looking at my note before we started. <laughs> it looks like Greek from here. Uh, well, I do dabble. Uh, <laughs> uh Along the same lines, uh, I would say that one of the biggest struggles for me in preaching is the the feedback during a sermon, um, which which falls in, in line with what you're saying about is it falling flat or are they catching what I'm what I'm saying? Um, I much prefer uh, an interactive teaching setting to a monologue. Uh, because I, you get instant feedback. Is that because you've done more of that in your life? I think so. And you're just more comfortable with it? I think so. Yeah. Um, but as I have had to do more um, monologue preaching, I have learned that one way to, to figure out if it's falling flat or not is to learn to read the crowd. Um, I think that that's a very good skill to develop is to look at the people as you're talking and try and to discern where they're at if they're if they're really listening or if it's just going over their head and that can allow you some real-time adjustment to um do change it in a way that it might not fall as flat yeah i agree with that i think you need to part of 
speaking to a group of people is having a genuine connection with them in real time so that you have a sense of, are they with me or are they not with me? I would also say you can be your own worst critic in this sense, and you can walk away from a message thinking, that was a train wreck, and God can still use it in somebody's life. And I'll give you an example. Just a couple of weeks ago, the passage we looked at on a Sunday morning was I thought it was really hard to preach. It was all dialogue. It was just it's just Jesus talking. We're in the upper or the uh, the farewell discourse, upper room discourse. So it's just you're talking about talking, and it's just hard to make sense of it. And I I got done with the sermon. I thought, man, that was just sort of what you do in expository preaching. You just come to a text, you work through it. I didn't think it had much effect at all, and maybe it didn't. But I did get an email from somebody who if you had looked at him that Sunday morning, you would have thought, eh, he's present, and that's about all I've got out of him. And he sent this email back. It wasn't trying to be flattering. It was just saying, that was what I needed to hear, and here's how God was using it in my life and the things that I took away from it. And I got that email about on a Tuesday, and I thought, well, I thought it fell flat in some respects, that guy was deeply convicted and encouraged by it. And so you have, yes, you need to be aware of how something's being received, but just because you don't see a visible whatever doesn't mean that the Spirit of God isn't using it in someone's life. So that can be a, that can be a tricky thing. Uh, so there you go. That, that, all that rabbit trail circles back around to uh, Coinman94, Coinman underscore 94. First thought of coin underscore man what did i say coin man underscore yeah close enough (laughs) sometimes it falls flat (laughs) hubcap was that your note or do you got something on that piece of paper over there uh i'm tapped to do those i'm I'm kidding (laughs) um i I would say another area that i really struggle in with or, or that i find difficult uh as i prepare for preaching is finding illustrations. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I am awful at that, and <laughs> that I uh, I in I, I I spend more time sometimes <laughs> trying to think of an applicable illustration than I do <laughs> studying what I'm teaching because I, I I study what I'm what I'm going to be teaching and I get I get it set and I'm like okay I get it I know it now the illustration <laughs> and I can just I can never remember stories from my life that I could say mm. use to to twist into a, an illustration or, or to utilize. And it just, it drives me crazy. Yeah. I, I'm terrible at finding illustrations for sermons. Yeah. So how would you counsel someone who said that to you? Um, <laughs> be better. <laughs> That's great advice. <laughs> really worth the price Solid, of the podcast right? here. I know. Really good. Uh, I'll send you an invoice later for hey, that. Can you think of an illustration for your high center experience? Uh, all I'm thinking of right now is uh, Bo, Bo Duke. <laughs> Hunter Duke, Hubcap Duke. Hey, I, I had that on my list. That was number four of four on my list. Uh, what I put is uh, illustrations are challenging. Finding them, knowing how many to use, knowing what is too many, knowing what is not enough, 
uh, there's times I get done with the message and I think, golly, that got long and it needed something in the middle to break it up and divide a thought. There's other times I get done and I'm like, all you did is tell stupid stories. What a waste of 30 minutes. And it's hard to find that balance. I'd tell you when I was a uh, brand new preacher, I really struggled with that a lot. And now this sounds so uh, old, but I just bought books filled with illustrations. And they were topically arranged or they were little short stories. And 99% of what was in those books was absolute trash, garbage, not useful. (laughs) But every now and then I would find something that was kind of good, kind of helpful. And so I I addressed that problem in that way. Um, I think now one good resource is to read commentaries after you've done your sermon prep, your, your exegesis of the passage, read commentaries written by preachers and see how they illustrate it. Mm-hmm. And you may steal their illustration or their illustration may help you think of something in your own life or something you've heard or something from the news. Um, that's a, a helpful thing for me. Uh, but that is a tricky thing. Any other thoughts? on illustrations, finding illustrations, how you do that. I had that down as well. I said you had to be careful with plagiarism, not to just steal someone else's stuff. But, and also uh, one of the things I thought about was trying not to uh, tell too many stories about someone who knows that you're telling a story about them, (laughs) that they may get offended Uh, because I've done that in youth before where, I told a story yeah. about someone. They ended up hearing about it, and they were like, oh, that was about me, and, which I didn't use a name, but they know it was about them. And That's the value of going to a new church is you can use all the stories <laughs> from your last <laughs> church, and you can say, hey, I knew a guy. <laughs> yeah. Or no, you can that, make them up. Or you can make them up. Um, and I, and in, in listening to some other pastors, uh, I think it's helpful to not tell too many stories about yourself so that people think, well, this guy just talks about himself all the time. Yeah. So I've heard, I've heard a lot of preaching instructors give counsel of you probably shouldn't use yourself in an illustration unless it's self-deprecating in an appropriate way. Yeah. Should be very careful about using yourself in an illustration where you end up being the hero of the illustration, the good guy in the illustration most of us can't share those stories without sounding egotistical sure. and arrogant. So that's a challenge. Okay, illustrations. I, I don't know that anything we've said solves that that knot or that riddle, but that is certainly a tricky part um, to preaching. Where do you find illustrations? How do you discern what is an appropriate illustration? How many is enough? How many is too many? That's a tricky thing. Um requires a little bit of trial and error and uh, requires some willingness to go back and listen to yourself. Uh, Like you said, you'll pick up some of your mannerisms. You'll pick up, man, that was a long section of preaching where I didn't say anything Mm. that kept people's attention. And it was just hard for people to follow for that length of time. So that's good. Uh, Where are we at? Leslie, give us something off your list. One of the things that I hate is when you're doing sermon prep and you get it all typed up and you're like, this is too long and Mm. I have to cut something out. And 
you have to pick and choose what part of the scripture you're not going to talk about when you're uh, taking it apart and explaining it and making sense of it. I, I really hate leaving something out that I thought was important enough to put in my notes, and then you just have to cut it. So Why do you hate leaving it out after you've studied it and kind of worked it in? Why does that bother because you? Because I thought it was important to me, all of the points that I thought were important to me, and I thought it would be good for people to learn those things and to hear those things. But like I said, when you try to put all of those so things So then why in, do you take them out? Because the sermon's too long. Maybe you need to chop up and do two weeks instead mm. of one. I don't know, but uh, the sermon, you know, you know how much, how many pages you can type up and how long that's going to be. And when it's two pages too long, something has to be cut. And so do you cut the illustrations? Do you cut the text? Do yeah, you know? yeah. So what do you do? Thoughts on that? Hubcap, you're nodding. <clears throat> what do you think over there? No, I struggle with that too. And, um, what I typically end up doing in that situation is cutting the illustration I have because I always feel like my illustrations are weak anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, I would rather talk about the text. And so, yeah, that's hard because I, I know that you need stuff like illustrations to help connect points, but yeah, I, I struggle with the same thing of having to cut re- information that you feel is really good. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll tell you an illustration. <laughs> a story. I see what you did there. Uh, one of the guys I just had lunch with today, he's in my men's discipleship group. Uh, about a year ago, he filled in teaching Sunday school in the preteen Sunday school class. He normally does not teach Sunday school, but it was a weird week. People were out of town. He got asked to fill in. And he told me, you know, here's the lesson. And he said, I felt like he felt like because he never got the chance to teach that in that lesson, he needed to say everything about the Bible and Jesus and God and salvation and heaven and eternity all in one lesson. And he just said, I felt this weight to like give these kids everything. And I I had to remind him, you got 30 minutes in Sunday school and those kids are going to be back next week. And I think a lot of us struggle in a sermon with that same thing. We feel the weight of preaching, and we know the importance of it, and we feel like we need to say everything. And the reality is you can't say everything in a sermon. And sometimes by trying to say everything, you just make everything more cloudy and confusing and unclear, and you end up saying less by saying more. And sometimes, in fact, I think most of the time, you've got to boil down your sermon to what really needs to be in it to drive home your one big idea and to make it clear. And that means not saying everything that you could say. That is hard. Um, It's why a lot of times at the front end of a sermon, I'll kind of throw out some random thoughts about the text Those are usually things like little rabbit trails I would have liked to have followed if I had an hour to preach, but only got 30 minutes. So I'm just going to, I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm going to mention it, make you aware of it, but we don't have any time to spend on that. We got to move on to to the big idea, but that is hard. Sure. I remember my preaching professor at seminary saying, I can tell how good your sermon is by how big your cut pile is. If you don't have anything good in the cut pile, then everything in your sermon is average. But if you got some good stuff that you had to take out, what's left is really good. 
And I've thought, I think about that regularly when I hit my page limit and I say, that's it. I, I, I can't say anything else. I'm not done. So I got to go back and take something out. That's a challenge. Jake, give us something else, a challenge in preaching, something that's hard. Yeah. My second one was just being stuck to my notes. Mm. So like on Wednesdays, it's not even a legit sermon, but I'm still going up there with like eight to 10 typed up pages of manuscript almost that I'm not necessarily reading from, but it, I basically have a typed up list of exactly what I want to say. Um, this past summer I took a preaching course and I had to give three sermons. I did them in uh, y'all's actually all three of y'all's Sunday school classes. Um, and they said to do it without any notes mm. or you're going to take a cut. And I was just like, I'm just taking the cut. That's <laughs> like, I'm too chicken to preach a sermon with no notes. So you took the point deduction so just, with the notes. Yeah. I just straight up, I'm not even going to attempt that. I'm just going to take my notes. It was only like a 10 point deduction or something. So I was like, I'm just preaching with notes because that scares me to go up there with nothing. Yeah. There you go. So the struggle for you is being tied to your notes, feeling like you need all that you've prepared, being connected to that, maybe overly yeah. while you're preaching. Yeah. Why is that a problem? Why not just say, look, I did all the homework. I did all the study. I've got it all written out. I'm just going to read it to you. What's Well, in, in my seminary course, the, the second preaching class was on sermon delivery, so that's why they wanted you to preach without notes. It's because it was less about the content than it was about the execution of it. Mm. And so I guess not having notes lets you engage with, you know, the people you're teaching better, like actually being able to look up and look at them like you're having conversation and talking to them and not talking at them while you're looking down at a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, just the engagement of the delivery is better, I guess, if you don't, yeah, aren't tied down as much. No, I'd agree with that. Uh, I think there are a few guys, if you watch preachers preach on video, there are a few guys that really do use their notes a lot. If you watch them on video, to listen to them on a podcast, you may not think they have many notes, but to watch them, they are tied to their notes, and they can still deliver a sermon effectively. I think most of the time when you're tied to your notes, it's not a good thing. Mm. Um, so advice, what would you say to somebody who said, I'm just tied to my notes and I'm terrified to, to let loose? Uh, I, I would say, well, first of all, I've struggled with that a lot. Mm. I have... Um, and, and looking back of my time in, in preaching more and more, goodness, I almost spilled that. Um, I can see a, a transition from what, what you're talking about and coming up with eight to 10 pages of manuscript. And, and now I'm still bringing quite a few notes, but not as much as it used to be. And I'm finding myself, um, looking at them less and less. Um, but I still bring them because it makes me feel secure. Uh, but I, I think over time, the, the way that I have gotten there is just by forcing myself to, one, write less notes. And two, um, look at the audience more. Um, be intentional about looking up more and not looking at my notes more. And that has allowed me to uh, work through those sections where I may not have been as comfortable before. Um, 
but I, I have found that I become more comfortable in, I found more ways to become comfortable in my study. Uh, as I'm writing it, as I'm writing my notes, as I'm doing my PowerPoint, and I'm rereading it all over again and again and again, I get to a place where I can speak about it without just constantly reading my notes. Yeah. And so... There was a couple of, of preaching guys recently when Judge Amy Coney Barrett was being confirmed, and you remember the it became a meme. Someone asked her, can we see what's on your notepad? And she held up her notepad, and it was completely blank. She went into the hearing with no notes, and she just extemporaneously answered all those questions. There was some preaching guys who said, look, if she can do that in a Supreme Court hearing, you ought to be able to do it with preaching. I totally disagree. And I think very few of us, myself included, are skilled enough to preach without notes well. And secondly, um, have the time during the week as regular pastors to devote to internalizing a sermon to the degree that we can preach completely without notes. So I think you ought to use notes. I think the key is, like Hunter said, developing a system of study and of what you're actually taking into the pulpit with you, where you have notes, but you aren't going to be tied to them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's points in a sermon where something is so important, you may want to reference your notes and say it exactly right. There's other things that you just need to have a prompt in your notes, and if you don't say it exactly like you planned it in an illustration or a story or a uh, whatever, it's not the end of the world. Um, but that is certainly a challenge. Inexperience is part of that. Um, forcing yourself not to be content with where you are, but to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable, maybe not going all the way with no notes immediately, but working in that direction. So thoughts on that? What are you looking up over there? I, personally, I think practice makes perfect on that. The more you do that, the more that you... practice Practicing your sermon correct. before you preach it? <clears throat> yeah, and the more you go over it, just because it's in your notes doesn't give you the, um, I don't think that you should just, okay, I have it in my note form. That's my security blanket. Now I'm finished. Well, no, you should still study it. You should still go back over it. You should still um, continue to develop those habits to where you're b barely looking at your notes, if any instead of reading your notes. Now, you still read the scripture. I read my scripture off my notes. I still read my quotes off my notes. Uh, and I try really hard not to just read uh, everything. But there's some things that you're just like, I don't want to mess this up. This is really good stuff, and I don't want to leave this part out. And so, but I, I do think that the more you do that, and the more courage you get to do that, uh, that you will develop those skills to be able to to preach that way uh, better without using so many notes. And to some of the things that you're saying, it's hard. Yep. It is hard to do it. It doesn't just happen with 20, 30 minutes of prep, and then you can go up and wing it for most of us. It doesn't happen that way for me. It requires a lot of study, a lot of prep, a good process. Uh, a lot of things go into that. So that's a good one. That's that's more geared toward delivery, uh, which is certainly important. You're going to have great content. If your delivery is lousy, nobody's going to take any of the content Correct. away and, and profit from it. So that's good. What do you think? You got anything else over there? Let me look at my note. <laughs> I was hoping you didn't need to look at your note after that last discussion. 
Um, I, Corey mentioned this earlier whenever we were talking about um, what were we talking about? Feedback? Uh, oh no, uh, illustrations. And and <laughs> hey, my note saved me right there. Uh, <laughs> when we were talking about illustrations, and he was talking about plagiarizing uh, uh, illustrations. Yeah. I struggle with, um, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I struggle with uh, plagiarism in sermon prep in, in the sense of um, as I read the scripture and as I, as I break it down into what I want to teach and I, I, I try to pull out the, the high points and then I go read commentaries. You read commentaries and there's some times you read it and you're like, oh man, it's such a good point. How, I mean, but I don't want to steal this point. <laughs> I don't want to... But but this is really good stuff, and so I struggle sometimes with um, a level of what can I take from commentaries and place into my notes, and what can I yeah what can I use and, and transfer from from my study to my lesson and no that's they, good they plagiarized Paul so it's okay <laughs> <laughs> one thought on that if you have used commentaries properly you've already done the exegetical work in the text and if a commentary confirms an idea that you came to in your own study i don't think you necessarily need to quote a commentary simply because you reach the same conclusion i think that's confirmation you're on the right track assuming you've done that study on your own on the front end secondly the general rule in my academic career at seminary is when in doubt, just quote them. And it really doesn't take a long time to do that. You can do that in a sermon. And the difference is if you don't quote, you're a thief. If you do quote, you're an academic. Really easy. And so, you know, it could be something as simple as uh, James Boyce in his commentary on Romans breaks it down like this. I'm going to use his points. Number one, then you use his points and you've said, I'm taking his points. I like the way he broke it down. Um, and I don't think people begrudge you that. The danger, one danger is, you end up just regurgitating a commentary hmm. to people. That's not a sermon. Yeah. But there is a danger in that. Hmm. So that's a good thought. Leslie, you got one more for us? Yeah, I think the last one is just, especially when you teach, and this goes for teachers as well and preach, just feeling the weight of the responsibility of what you're doing. Because in Matthew 12, it tells us, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So I just think even as we teach and knowing that we get held to a higher standard, knowing that teachers and, and preachers were held to a different standard, which in essence, it puts our lives under a microscope. Mm. So it does make a difference how we live our lives. It does make a difference what we say, both in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. And so I think it is very healthy for us to feel that weight of responsibility in preaching and teaching God's Word. Yeah, and it should be there. It's it's not unlike the weight Paul describes where... He's telling the Corinthians about all of his sufferings, and he says, on top of this, I have the burden of the churches, these people that I'm responsible for. I'm their spiritual father, and they're my spiritual children, and I care about them, and their churches are hurting and suffering and dysfunctional, and that weighs on me. That's the pastoral weight. There's also the proclamation weight of, I'm standing up in front of God's people, telling them, 
this is what God's word says. Mm. I better get it right and I better do it with humility and I better preach it to myself before I preach it to them. And I better do it effectively. There's no, there's no reason not to do my best work, my best job at communicating the text and, and doing that with passion and, and fervency. So that, that certainly should be a weight. And to Hunter's point, better be careful the commentaries that you buy mm. because some yeah. of them will not teach the truth about God's Word. Yeah, you got to be discerning correct. in who you're reading, where their perspective begins, and where that perspective ends up taking right. them. Absolutely. Well, I know you guys got a few more. I've got several more. There are certainly challenges uh, when it comes to preaching. It's not an easy task. Um, I think many times church members think about preaching as the main thing that we do. And as a regular pastor, you know it's not the only thing I do. It might be the main thing that people see week in and week out, but it's not the only thing that occupies my time. Uh, And yet it ought to be the most important thing uh, in our hearts and our minds and our uh, planners day to day, week to week, in devoting time and preparing um, in praying and all the things that go into preaching, uh, there are certainly challenges. So uh, we could we could end up in a couple of weeks, uh, maybe after we as as men at Emmanuel have studied preaching, revisiting this and talking about uh, preaching from a different perspective. But I appreciate y'all's uh, perspective, your honesty, and uh, pray that the Lord would equip us to do what He's called us to do. Uh, in preaching and in teaching. Glad I had to note. Your note made the show. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Regular Pastor Podcast and Crash Siegler's One Note. Big thanks to our faux sponsor, faux co-sponsor, Epic Collision and eBay. That would be coin underscore man niner four you got it on ebay if you need those pumpkin tablecloths <laughs> check us out online regularpastor.com if you know a regular pastor who ought to come on the podcast we'd love to talk with them until next time this is the regular pastors out Bye.